my privilege this morning to speak from uh, the Bible and uh, my thanks to Hermie for reading our passage this morning. We've called this series Joyful Living from the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church there. And the title for this talk is Living as Citizens of Heaven. I have a passport with me this morning. I haven't used it for ages. But in it, it says that I am a British citizen. It's proof of my identity, that I am who I say I am. I've got visas in that passport that have allowed me to travel to countries and I need it to get back into this country. It has a photo of me. They may not always recognize me from the photo. They're never flattering, are they? But I do use the passport when I travel. Did you know that one of the earliest known references to paperwork that served in a similar role as a passport is found in the Bible? from Nehemiah chapter 2, when King Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah a letter requesting safe passage as he travels back to his homeland in Judea. In the inside cover of my passport, it says this, Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State request and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. Our passports are important documents. I've never lost it, but it has been once taken from me by an official at a border and not given back to me unless I gave him some money. It was once taken from me on entry to a country and I was not allowed to have it back until I left that country and it was on condition of my good behaviour while I was visiting. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, wants to teach them about citizenship, living as a citizen of heaven. Verse 27, he says, whatever happens... Whatever happens, Paul has been talking plainly in his letter about his life. He is in chains. This is a lockdown letter. He is not sure whether he will live or die. But either way, says Paul, it's okay. In fact, it's better than okay. For Paul, his situation is a win-win. That amazing verse in 21 where Paul writes, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. One of the biggest questions of life is the question of death. What happens when we die? Where do we go when we die? Now, this isn't the main thrust of Paul's letter to the Philippians, but he shares with his friends the truth of his situation. He is not afraid. He has a resurrection faith, as we do. We have an Easter faith. We have recently celebrated the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that he conquered death, he has conquered sin. We have a sure and certain hope of the life to come. So Paul is a prisoner in chains. And whether he will survive this present imprisonment or whether the powers that be decide that he's better off dead, he is not sure. The curious thing is that 
Paul actually agrees with them. Yes, he will be better off dead because he will be with Jesus. Jesus promised, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. That comes from John chapter 14. And we too, if we trust in Jesus, we know that we will be with him when we die. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a win-win situation. Paul is a man who is in love with Jesus, his saviour, his Lord, his God. He describes Jesus in Galatians chapter 2 as the one who loved me and gave himself for me. For Paul, dying means going to be with Jesus. Interestingly here, Paul doesn't talk about where he is going, but to whom he will go. He is going to be with Jesus where he is. And to Paul, Jesus is more valuable than anything else. Later in the letter, he takes an audit of his life, all his credentials, all his achievements, and he says, none compare to knowing Jesus. In fact, he says, all of them are like rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand Paul. He wants to live. To live is great. To live is to be fruitful. To live would be better for the early church that he may serve them and proclaim the gospel continually. But he knows that if he is to die, that is gain, to be with Jesus. And we have that confidence as believers that we are in a win-win situation. To die is better by far, says Paul. Dying means that he will be with Jesus and he will return with Jesus when Jesus comes to make a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. Paul is not wishing for death, but he is certain that death brings the best as Jesus has promised. Whatever happens, says Paul. Then in verse 27, he continues, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word conduct that Paul uses is very interesting. The Greek word that he uses is polytomai. And it's the main verb in these verses, verses 27 to 30, and it comes from the root word city. And the verb carries that basic meaning of being a citizen. So by implication, what Paul is saying is live as a good citizen of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation translates verse 27 like this. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus. Now, Paul's use of that um, word citizen would have been very familiar to people in Philippi. As it was, Paul himself would have been very familiar with citizenship. He was a citizen of Rome, a Roman citizen. Remember when he was first in Philippi, when he planted the church there, and he caused an uproar uh, when he healed a slave girl. And her owners were so distraught, they, they sort of um, motivated a mob to go after Paul. He was arrested, flogged and imprisoned. And the magistrates were later horrified to discover that they had illegally flogged and imprisoned two Roman citizens, Paul and his friend Silas. And at Paul's request, the city officials have to apologise and escort Paul from the city. 
And again, later in Acts 22, when Paul is arrested in Jerusalem by the Roman guard, he is about to be flogged and he asks, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen? And again, they were horrified. No, it wasn't legal. He had rights as a Roman citizen under Roman law. Now, we have to remember that Philippi, although it's in Macedonia, was a Roman colony. Its full name was the Roman Colony of Philippi, which is dedicated to Julius and Augustus Caesar. It's no wonder that they shortened it to just Philippi. But it was an outpost of Rome. The Philippians were really proud of their Roman citizenship. They spoke a different language. They spoke Latin. They wore Roman dress. Their clothes reflected the Roman fashion. They followed Roman customs and laws. They enjoyed the same privileges, protections and responsibilities as citizens of Rome itself. Their names were recorded in the role of citizenship in Rome and their allegiance was to Caesar as their emperor, king and lord. Yes, the Philippians were very proud, fiercely proud of their Roman citizenship. And Paul writes to the believers in Jesus, the church, live as citizens of heaven. Paul was reminding them that their heavenly citizenship was even greater than that of Rome. And it came with greater privileges, but also responsibilities. Believers, then and now, we have been purchased at a great price. That citizenship, that forgiveness, that promise of eternal life came at the cost of Jesus's life, his blood shed on the cross. And we are called to remember that again and again. Whatever happens, says Paul, in life, whatever you go through in life, always remember that you are a citizen of heaven. Live in a manner worthy, says Paul, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, like every believer, have been made citizens by the grace of God, the love of God. As Paul encountered uh, in his day, there were those who had to pay money, sometimes large amounts of money, to become a citizen of Rome. We see that in that passage in Acts 22. Our citizenship of heaven is freely given, paid for by Jesus on the cross. And our names are written on the roll in heaven. In Luke 10, Jesus says, Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. And in Revelation 13 and 20, it says, Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our language is different. And it should be. I remember when I first became a Christian, overnight my language changed I stopped swearing. It was one of the things that my work colleagues noticed, first of all, about um, how I was. I'd stopped swearing. It's not because I said, oh, I mustn't swear anymore. It's just something had changed within my heart, in my spirit. I didn't swear anymore. Our language is different. Does our language honor Jesus? Our customs are different as well. Don't conform, says Paul, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul gives that idea that we shouldn't be followers of the crowd, but we should be followers of Jesus. We shouldn't be squeezed into the 
mold of the world, but actually that our witness should affect the world around us. And above all, as believers, our allegiance is to Jesus. Above all. It was the most revolutionary statement in Roman society, in any society from the first century to the 21st, to say Jesus is Lord. Being a citizen of heaven doesn't mean that we are perfect. We're not going to be perfect in this life. Jesus promises one day we will be like him. We will be made perfect when he comes again. But our desire is to live in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. We want to honor him with our lives. And we should be asking the Lord constantly to renew our minds so that we may pursue a godly character as citizens of heaven. Philippi was an outpost of Rome. And Paul is sharing with his desire that the church be an outpost of heaven that we live out our lives as citizens of heaven. Authentic Christianity will stand out for good. And the world needs the church as a witness. The world needs the local church. Whatever happens, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, even in the midst of opposition and persecution. And Paul is aware that suffering is coming to the early church and even to Philippi as it has come to him. He says, live worthily, seek the kingdom first. Stand firm, don't be frightened by those who oppose you. Be united in the spirit. That unity of the spirit is powerful. Always remember what God has done for you. Throughout the scriptures, we're called to remember. There's about 250 references to remembering what God has done in the Bible. And know that he is with you. He is with us. And at this point in this reading, Paul turns from that image of citizenship to a military image. Stand united. Stand firm. And he has in mind, I think, the Roman army. The Roman army at the time was the most disciplined in the world. They would stand shoulder to shoulder. They had a um, sort of tactic of warfare called the phalanx, which was a formidable military device. It was a group of highly committed soldiers, sometimes eight men deep, moving as one against their enemy. And as long as no one broke rank, they were unstoppable. In fact, it was the use of this method that Philip of Macedon took the city of Philippi in the first place. Now, the spiritual battle, says Paul, requires the church to stand firm, to stand united. We need each other. One of the things we have missed most about this past year is not being together. And it's really important that we come back together. And hopefully in the near future, we'll be allowed to do that. And if you haven't been back to a live service yet, I would encourage you to, to book into one. I know we're not allowed to sing, but it's so precious to meet together in the presence of God, to worship, yes, in different ways, but to stand together, encourage one another. Whatever happens, says Paul, stand united. 
Don't be frightened, he says, of those who oppose you. Now, it's easy to say, harder to do. There have been times when I've been fearful in my life of those who have opposed me. But Paul says, know this, that when we go through suffering or hardship or are opposed, Christ is with us. Paul doesn't see suffering for Christ as something to be desired, but he does see it as something that we can be proud of. I remember visiting in China and talking to um, believers there. And we were hearing stories of the crackdowns that they had experienced. And almost imprisonment was seen as that badge of honor that you were imprisoned for Christ. Paul sees part of our suffering for Jesus, whatever that may be, and we're fortunate that we're not persecuted in the ways that our other brothers and sisters are, but we are identifying with Christ in that. That we will enjoy his glory and we have benefited from his salvation, but we are also called to suffer as well. Our experience of the persecuted church as partner uh, church with Open Doors has taught us many things about the courage of the persecuted church. That in extreme circumstances, God gives those believers the courage to stand firm. So living for Jesus means sharing in his salvation and glory, but sometimes will mean sharing in his suffering too. And we regularly pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. And you know what? They pray for us too. I've had the privilege to stand with 500 other believers praying for their nation and for the world. And the prayer meeting was the biggest meeting they had. Sometimes our prayer meetings are the smallest meetings that we have. One of the fears of the leaders of the church in China is, is not actually the persecution, but materialism. That actually that can sometimes cause us to be lukewarm. Whereas when we're facing opposition, we, we have to choose where we're going to stand. I've also stood with thousands in a church built on a rubbish dump, proclaiming Jesus Christ in a country where there is persecution. Those believers believe the church is a prophetic sign to those around them, and I agree with them. The church is a prophetic sign to unbelievers. The persecuted church is a prophetic sign to the world. The world needs the church as we point to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. We want people to be saved. We want people to know the hope that we have in the midst of all that we have gone through. We are like a light on a hill. Be an outpost of heaven, says Paul. Live differently, look differently, speak differently. And in the face of opposition, do not be afraid. Whatever happens, stand for Jesus. This will be a witness to the world. When the world sees that the gospel is more important to believers than life itself, it has a huge impression. Even the might of Rome could not destroy the early church. In fact, it was the early church that overcame. 
commenting on his study about the early church, Michael Green says this, neither the strategy nor the tactics of the first Christians were particularly remarkable, but what was remarkable was their conviction, their passion, and their determination to live for Jesus, whatever happened. And nothing but nothing could stop them living for Jesus. They were not prepared to deny Christ, even in order to preserve their own lives. Paul says to the Philippians, as he would say to us as a church, whatever happens, live a life worthy of the gospel. We are in a win-win situation. Be an outpost of heaven. Be a prophetic sign where you are. As a believer in your workplace, in your home, as a church together, that Jesus is Lord and all are welcome in his kingdom. Let's live as citizens of heaven, whatever happens. May God bless you in this coming week. Amen.